Welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we're learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I'm your host, Raleigh Sadler. Today, I want to talk about divorce. This is something that impacts all of us in some way, whether we're actually going through the divorce or we're children of divorce or friends of people who've broken up. Jessica was married for 26 years. She has three children and was shocked when everything came crashing down. Not only was she a single mom now, but she had to navigate life in a different way, even in the local church. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Thompson, the author of the new book, He Loved Them, Discovering Jesus's Heart for Seekers, Sinners, Doubters, and the Discouraged, and other people like us. Jessica, how are you doing? Hey, man. I am... Hanging in there. I think uh, surviving and thriving both at the same time. <laughs> so when you say, so, yeah, I'm happy yeah, to be too. talking with you. <laughs> and when you say surviving and thriving, unpack that for me a little bit. Yeah, surviving because there's parts of my life that are incredibly difficult and I'm learning how to navigate and I feel like I'm barely hanging on. There's parts of my life that are like that, where there's, they're full, just full of lament and space to feel sadness and to grieve loss. And then there's parts of my life that I am thriving. Um, Parts of my life where I've never been happier. Parts of my life where I feel more me than I've ever felt. Parts of my life where I understand God and his love for me in new, beautiful ways. So I think this is the, the part of the Christian life. Uh, something that I think we need to learn is to hold lament and rejoicing together at the same time. Like sadness, sorrow, and happiness, like holding hands in our lives because we live in this broken world and we're broken people. And yet we're also a loved people and we're also people that are beautifully made, beautifully and wonderfully made. So holding both of those together has been the season of my life that I'm in, surviving and thriving. It's got to be tough when you look at it from an Instagram filter, right? Like so many of us want (laughs) to have that picture perfect life. We do not want to admit vulnerability. We do not want to have anything really imperfect happening in our lives, or at least we don't Mm -hmm. want people to know about Mm -hmm. it. I know for me, anytime I mean, I wrote a book on vulnerability. I still hate it. Like anytime I have to admit, oh, wow, like this is really tough. It's hard. It's fruitful and needed, but it can be really difficult. And so for you, you're experiencing both. It's almost, it almost sounds like kind of like highs and lows, but like the goods and the bads, you're experiencing Mm. beauty and messiness. And I think Mm -hmm. until we acknowledge both of those especially as Christians, we're mm-hmm. not living in the freedom that, that we could live in. Absolutely. I mean, and, and this is what Jesus did, right? Jesus lived in the tension of a man on an earth that is broken, around people that are broken. And yet, so that's the messy part and dealing with sin and sickness and, and, and sorrow. And yet, This is a man who loved to extreme measures, gave himself fully, emotionally, physically over to other people. And so we see that 
beautifully encapsulated in the life of our Savior who lived in the mess, thrived in the mess, loved through the mess, and yet also didn't act like the mess wasn't there, entered into it. It wasn't like, oh, it's fine. He entered into it to bring healing. He entered into it, and not just to bring healing, but there's also specific times where he entered into it, and and that was it. Like, he wept. He felt the pain. So we see that Jesus Christ himself exemplifies that perfectly for us, being in the mess, and yet loving and and giving and being fully human. You know, we follow him in his footsteps. Well, he also focused on protecting others at the expense of protecting himself. Mm. And I think a lot of us, Mm -hmm. it's very easy, so easy to protect ourselves over others. So we push people away Mm. that their issues might be a little bit different than ours, but they're too much for us. And and I'm not saying not Mm -hmm. to have boundaries. I think boundaries are very important. And knowing what you can deal with when you're there. But but a lot of times, I know in my life, but I've also seen this, you know, in the church is that's not what's happening. We're just pushing people away that don't fit anymore. And so you're mm-hmm. here in this local church and mm-hmm. you're also in this Christian sphere where you're speaking, you're writing, but now you're going through yeah. divorce. What has that looked like? What does it look like to navigate that? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I got to tell you that whole Instagram perfect thing has been difficult because the last 10, 12 years of my life have been traveling and speaking. And and one of the things we really, that I talked about the most was parenting in the gospel. What does it mean to give our kids grace? And, you know, automatically in the Christian circles, when we talk about parenting, you're not thinking about single parenting for the most part. You're thinking about, you know, a unit. And so, to be attached, to have my identity, my wholeness, my righteousness attached to the fact that I'm part of a, a family, even though I wouldn't have, I would have said, don't do that. In a lot of ways, I was doing that, right? Like, this is what I did. I went and talked about uh, my identity as a parent, which also is, you know, being a wife in most Christian circles. And so, yeah, for me, it was a real stripping. A, a a difficult, painful stripping to know that part of who I was now was that I was a divorced woman as a part of who I am now is that I was, I am, a, I'm a divorced woman. So you go from traveling the world and not the, well, yeah, the world. I mean, we went to other uh, countries, traveling the world, speaking about parenting, writing about it, immersed in that world to now a divorced woman, it was painful. It was a shock. You know, in Chronicles of Narnia, when Eustace is covered by that dragon skin and Aslan is like, do you know this part? Aslan's like clawing through the skin to peel off this dragon skin from Eustace to get to the true Eustace, to get to his true identity. And Eustace is like, it's so painful as he peels off these layers from me. But yet there's freedom in that. So all the stripping of all my identities that are not found in the fact that I'm created in the image of God and loved by Him, He's really peeled them away in the last few years. And I'm learning to find the goodness of God in that and to find a way to learn 
more about who I am and more about well, and it who tracks God is. with your idea of surviving and thriving. It tracks with your idea of beauty yeah. and messiness because it's through the things that we suffer. That's, that's actually evidence that we're growing. It's so easy to think, oh, well, what did I do wrong? Why is everything falling apart? Why is the defecation mm. hidden in ventilation? Why mm -hmm. can't I get it right? Like what is wrong with me? Yeah. And then yeah. to realize, yeah, through the things that I'm suffering, I am growing, I'm healing, I may be hurting, mm. but there's also this other thing mm -hmm. that I can't really put my finger on that's happening. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us, especially in Christendom, who work mm -hmm. with churches or who've been to a church or who've seen one on TV or they know a Christian or they are a Christian, anyone who's been around this Christian realm um, it's very easy to fall into this trap of wanting to be perfect. This trap, we'll, we'll, we'll say mm -hmm. that we're not. We may say things like, right. well, we're saved by grace, but then we're living by works. And so for us, we right. have to really take a step back from that and realize that, that we're not only saved by grace, but we live by grace. Like Christ took this all on That's himself. Right. But it, mm -hmm. it can be tricky to believe that in real time. What has that journey been like for you as you've tried to live in light of this new reality? <laughs> it's been really hard. I mean, there's been lots of nights of crying myself to sleep and waking up crying. And, <clears throat> you know, as you say that, like, we believe that we're saved by grace alone and we know it's not our works. And yet the fact that I felt like such a failure I mean, this is like the big thing in the Christian life, right? In Christendom, like the, in the evangelical world, being married oh, yeah. is the thing. As a, as a person who's 44 <laughs> and single, I've heard this. I've, I've heard that you, yes. you have worth when you're married. I, I've, I've heard that somewhere. I don't, I don't uh, know where I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the air we breathe, right? It's the thing. And so to know, to step back from my life and say, what I've been working on for the last 26 years mm. has failed mm. is brutal. And, and of course in that, like I can come back to myself and say all sorts of things like, Oh, it's not, you know, it wasn't just you. It's other, you know, like all the sure. caveats yeah. we can build for ourselves. But when I get right down to it, the heart of what hurt the most is, man, I have failed my kids. I have failed in this relationship and feeling like a total failure. So while we say, oh, it's just about grace, I do think that there are tendencies that we have as Christians to look at other people's lives and say, well, it's all about grace, but dang, you messed up. <laughs> you know it's all I mean? about grace as long as you fit. It's all about grace as long That's as you're right. doing all the right things. Right. That's right. And so for me then to be like, okay, it really is all like, I really, all I have hold, to hold on to right now is that it is all about grace. That's all I have because every other part of my life feels like a failure or I feel like a fraud or I feel like that whole imposter syndrome. Well, who am I to talk to other people about Jesus? I can't even keep this marriage intact. So yeah, I think it's been it's been incredibly painful. And even and I think as 
we always want to be like, oh, it's been painful and here's what I've learned. And I, I don't know if we, if we always have to do that. I think it can just be like, this has really sucked, period. And honestly, I don't care what I've learned right this moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, living in the this is hard. Well, that's the thing about suffering. Suffering is fine as long as it's in the rearview mirror. If you're actually going through suffering right. now, then you really have to square with what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about health, what yeah. you believe about success and failure. And a mm -hmm. lot of us will say that we live by grace but as soon as we take a misstep, we're beating ourselves up. Mm. You know, I know mm. for me, I've recently discovered that I am a perfectionist. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm, a rec I'm becoming an imperfectionist. Mm -hmm. I'm like, and mm. here's how you know. Here's how you know that you're a perfectionist. You speak or you do a podcast or you do something and then you listen to it with a fine tooth comb and you're like, Oh my gosh. Or, or <laughs> like I would speak at a church or I'd speak at a conference and I'd go down and if I was dating someone and they're like in the front row or that's if we had a really good relationship. If in their back row, it's probably about to end. But I would go up to them and say, hey, how did I do? Because I needed that. I needed, yeah. because I, at that yeah. point, wasn't really doing a great work of internal validation. I needed to be externally validated. I needed someone mm. to tell me that I was okay mm -hmm. because my own perfectionistic tendencies yeah. were eating me from the inside out. And yeah. now I may yeah. say that I'm all about living by grace, but everything I did pointed otherwise. And so mm. where mm -hmm. do you think this standard of success and failure, the standard of perfection comes from that we deal with? Mm. I mean, I think it comes from, I think it's internal and I think it's external. I think it's both. I think internally, like I want to, I want to measure up. I want to think of myself as the one who's pulling it off, as the one who has got their, their stuff, stuff yeah. together. Um, Gotta have that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I want to think of <laughs> that stuff. I want to think of myself that way. You know, I don't, I don't want to admit my no. need. I want to be the exception right? Not the rule. I, I want to be the one who is like 98% me and then like the 2% grace just to make it up. So I think that there's an internal slave driver of sorts, an mm. internal lawyer, right? That That's always at work. But I also think there's external messages that we're getting all the time from the church. And I use that yeah. like, like big C, like the church especially in our culture in America, I think that there is a message that we're getting from the church in America that says, if you want to be thought of as successful or as a leader, you want to be considered for church leadership, you want to be counted as one who has lived a good life, you're married, your kids are serving Jesus, you're probably upper middle class, if not rich, <laughs> So, and, and that's probably more a white, the white evangelical way of looking at things. So I, I think, yeah, I think that the church feeds us that. I think everybody in leadership, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily a bad thing, but it is an external pressure. When everyone on church, your church's staff leadership is married, I think it sends a message to everybody in the church 
that in order to be considered worthy of leading the church in any way, you have to be married. I think it's a problem. And I don't even think we realize we're doing it. I don't even think most pastors would even think that they're doing that or, or church leadership would even think, oh, it might be good to have some single people up in here and not just leading the youth. So, yeah, I, I think it's internal and I think it's external. I think it's been both. And I didn't realize, I mean, I knew that single people kind of got the short end of the stick in the church. They were used for babysitting or for kids ministry. But I don't think I, obviously, until you're in this place, you don't realize how, how big this is in the church, which I didn't until I was divorced. And I'm like, oh, not only am I single, but I've also got like the red shame mark of divorce. And I, in my local church context, I mean, they've done nothing but love me and support me and put me in church leadership, even in the middle of a divorce. They've done nothing but that. But I I think there's a broader sense, like where I have felt external, sort of like you're not measuring up. And And I've actually received wonderful, beautiful Instagram messages about that very thing, right? Like, are you really divorced sort of a thing? So I think it's, I think it's both. And I don't, I don't know if the internal pressure is more than the external. I don't know if there's one that's bigger than the other, but I, I would say they both play a part in, in the way that it's well, hard. It's interesting as we think about law, it's not only the law of God, but there's this lowercase L law where it's a law of mm-hmm. our own right. internal desires, our own expectations, where we're living under the weight of that. It's what people think of us. It's what the people and our family mm. think, our church thinks, we want to fit yeah. in a certain yeah. box. Whether we say that or not, we want to be mm-hmm. accepted. And so we do what we do naturally and mm-hmm. we, we try to earn it. But then when something mm. like a sudden life change happens or a rumor is spread mm. or you go through something mm-hmm. like a divorce where you're no longer feeling like you're on the inside, you may, you may still be, but right. you may not be. And then yeah, it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I know as someone who has served in different ministerial capacities for the last, I don't know, 20 some years, there have been moments where I've been told, we're not going to hire you because you're not married. And I'm like, well, the goal is to mm. get married. Like, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I will continue to give it the old college try, but especially if you give me a job. <laughs> no, but it's like, it's these... <laughs> These people will say, well, you're not married. And I'm like, and I think there's this, I've actually had people say, well, you know, sometimes single people, we have to ask why are they single? And I'm like, well, I want to just, I just want to pop the bubble right now. I just want to, I want to open your eyes, get ready. You know what? There are some weird married people. I, some of the weirdest people I've ever met in my life are married. And I look (laughs) at them and I'm like, how, how did you convince her or how did you convince him to make this work? Because you are quite possibly the most strange individual I've ever met. And I don't want you anywhere near people I care about. And, but as long as you yeah. check that box. And so I think it's this idea of like, right. the moment that we, whether it's divorce, whether it's whatever you're going through, the moment that you don't feel like you can check that box, then, mm. then it's hard for you to feel like you fit in. And if you don't feel like you fit in, you're not going to want to go to places like that. And 
Like, mm-hmm. I mean, when I was a pastor in New York, I'll never forget one of our congregants, she was living with HIV and this other person who had been through a lot heard her speak and he came up to her and he said, you, you, I can hang out with because you understand a world like me. Mm. And I think for mm. many of us, if we could really understand and grapple with our own vulnerability and our own limitations, we would find that people mm. might be more attracted to us and drawn to us than they ever were when we were mm-hmm. pretending to have it together. Because spoiler alert, you mm-hmm. don't, no one does, whether you're married, right. whether you're a pastor, right. whether you are a CEO, or whether you are just struggling to make ends meet. We're all vulnerable. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And I think, I think probably most people would say, yeah, of course, of course. But until it's taken away Mm. from you, you don't Mm. really know. I mean, I think intellectually we assent to that. Yeah, of course we're all vulnerable. But until you actually see the things in your life that you've relied on, stripped away or taken away, you don't realize how vulnerable you actually are. Yeah, we like vulnerability as long as we can control it. And then the the key of vulnerability is you can't control it. Yes, that's right. And we like people who are vulnerable. I mean, as long as it's like a clean vulnerability, right? Mm No, we don't want to we don't want to be around a messy vulnerability. We we like people who are vulnerable that, you know, are in this box, but once they're vulnerable and outside of the box, that's scary. And we don't want any part of that. And it's been even even for me, I didn't want any part of this. It's been interesting for me to see like, oh gosh, I was participating in and benefiting from a system that prizes married people. And now I'm seeing, oh man, wow. <laughs> that's, that's brutal that that looking back on that and the ways that I participated and, and received privilege from that. I just, yeah, I, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that there's been, this is the surviving and thriving. I'm so grateful for the painful stripping um, because I am learning to say in a way that is new and in a way that I've never said before, the gospel is all I have. It really is all I have. Jesus is it for me because so many areas of my life have just been My identity has just been stripped. And we can say the gospel is all I have. It's all I need. It's all I want. But we don't really, I mean, you're not going to really feel that in your bones until the majority of what you have has been taken away. And so surviving through it, but thriving because learning, it's all I need. It really is. Well, I think that's the most interesting part about reading certain biographies of Christian leaders or really anyone else, like especially Mm. once they have passed on, you see, wow, they really went through a difficult season or they, unless someone's Mm. writing like a hagiography where everything's beautiful and nothing bad happened, I don't trust those kind of biographies. But the ones where you're like, man, that person really went through it and they were hurt and they hurt people others' mistakes mm-hmm. had impacted them, and then their own mistakes had impacted them. It's just like, yep. and I think That's for right. us, 
we have to really square with we're not perfect, nor do we have to be. And there's something beautiful there. Mm. But I love how you're saying yeah. this idea of things being stripped away to where Jesus is all you have, because historically, throughout scripture, throughout history, it's when people have that taken away that they actually come to a place where they're really believing what they profess. They're really depending on what mm. they say. That, you know, we can say, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me all day long, but it's not until we need it that we are all in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have felt that. I mean, again, when you're just overwhelmed, crushed by what has happened and knowing that this experience isn't just crushing me, but it's crushing my kids. These beautiful children that I love so much, knowing that it's crushing them as well. Ah, I mean, knowing that I can't even stand on, well, at least my kids are fine. They're hurting, you know? I mean, it, it just, just to be able to say, oh, Jesus, you've, you've got to be big enough for me because you are all I have. And honestly, he is. And that doesn't mean that every time I'm feeling that, I'm like, hooray, Jesus. You know, that doesn't mean that. But it means I know he's carried me. I know he's sustained me. I know that even in the depths, he's there. I know that when I get up, he's there. I know that when I go out, he's there. I know when I sit, he's there. I know that there's nowhere I can go where he's not there. Nowhere I can flee. I can't flee the presence of God. And while that's beautiful and comforting, it's also like he's he's there. That's a little terrifying when I see how I act. But then I remember like, oh, he's thinking about me. He cares about me. His love is for me. Even in the darkest places of my life, that those verses in Psalm 139 that talk about even the darkness is as light to him. He knew all my days. He knew what was coming. And he's with me through every step, reminding me that my identity, my value doesn't come from my performance. It comes for Jesus' performance for me, who did go to the depths. He actually went there. Yeah for us so that we can know that we'll never be forsaken, that we're always loved, that we're forgiven, um, that we're accepted as beloved children of God. Well, and as you're talking, I'm thinking about this idea that God didn't come to save the pretend version of ourselves. Mm. In fact, he can't save the pretend version of ourselves. Mm. He can't save the face that we put out there for the public. He can only save Mm. the real version of us. And it's this idea that God dwells in reality. And so it's when Mm. we have things stripped away, well, we're no longer able to fake it. We're no longer able to pretend. Other people see our stuff. And for me, it's like, it's a quick way to lose acquaintances when you go through a hard time. Because your good time Charlie Mm -hmm. friends are like, oh, that's a little messy. I don't want to deal with that. But you see who your real friends are, the people who stick beside you Mm -hmm. and they just and they may set up boundaries. Maybe 
maybe you need to set up boundaries, but it's, it's so interesting that reality not only exposes our false understanding of ourselves, our false understanding of God, but it also or it exposes the false understanding of community that we have. And we're scrapping mm, to good. save it. We, yeah. we don't want to lose it. But I think in this weird purifying way, you know, you find out who your friends are, you find out who God is, and you find out who you are when you go through something difficult. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's a good yeah, word. I just, and as someone who's like experienced a tough couple of years, I look at that and I'm like, but I didn't want to go through that. I didn't want. Mm. I didn't want people like, you know, this, you write a book and then you go through life and then suddenly like people, maybe it's through gospel, but people that you don't know, know parts of your story. And you're just like, yeah, they're like, (laughs) I went to this big conference and it was right after I went through, let's just say a breakup. It was, it was was a broken engagement, but we'll just say a breakup. And I'm sitting and this is several years ago, but I just remember this is peak pandemic. And I'm like, Hey guys, how you doing? It'd been like a year and a half. And I'm finally like, I'm getting in the swing of things and like, like, Hey, how you doing? And people would be like, I'm doing good. How are you? And then they put their hand on my shoulder. (laughs) The old upper arm grab. How are you? I got 16 of those. I counted. I got 16 of those in one day. And I just, I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this conference. Oh my gosh. And I just, I found some friends and I just hung out for the rest of the night because I was like, that was intense. And then certain people would be like, so yeah. tell me about this. Tell me about that. I'm like, you know, I have nothing negative to say. You know, it's just like, I, yeah. you know, everyone's moving on with their lives and that's okay. But during yeah. that season, yeah, a lot of that was happening. And it's so interesting how... I had to accept where I was in life at that point. And I had to do the work, mm-hmm. so to speak, of healing and growing. And I think anyone does that after something, something of the sort. But we're so afraid of losing that we forget that we could gain something. Mm, that's good. And I think what the gaining is, sometimes we don't even get, like, we think that's going to be different than what it is. Like, a gain we're afraid of what we're losing. So we don't know what we can gain. And then in my mind, it would be like, oh yeah, gain is not being sad. (laughs) A gain is walking the life triumphant. And I think that maybe what I'm learning is the gain is it's okay for me to admit I'm sad, Um, that I can stay in that space. And because my whole life has been um, that I just like want to ignore any sort of painful feelings. Like I just no, I, I will just skip on to the next thing. I will reframe situations so they look positive. Like the eternal optimist, never just being okay with saying this is sad and it's hard and it's broken. Period. Without adding on any sort of Christian platitude. You know, but I think for me, like to learn to sit and to know that God is with me in that, in that sitting in the sadness, and that's going to be different for everybody, right? But for me, my gain in this has been, oh, in the depths, he's with me and not in the depths as I'm trying to climb my way out, like just as I'm sitting in the depths 
he's there. Because I often have thought like, oh, he's there if you're working to get out of it. If you're working not to be sad. Um, But no, even when you're not working, (laughs) even when you're just sitting there, he's with me. And that has been redefining what a gain is to me has been something that I'm finding has is the surviving and thriving. It's really hard to redefine what you've thought your whole life. Um, but also I'm learning, oh, but it's, it, this is beautiful, even though it's hard. Yeah. And it's interesting when you think about being in a church setting that so many of us, whether it was implicit or explicit, have had these experiences where we felt, now I'll take ownership of this, we felt like we had to look a certain way or be a certain thing or be successful or not show weakness. But Mm. when you go through something and you you can't, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm realizing that it's okay to be imperfect. And I think for so long, I just Mm -hmm. pushed and pushed and pushed and that put an undue weight on me. And Mm -hmm. as weird as it is saying to someone that you're a recovering perfectionist, it feels weird because like, you're not supposed to be like, People aren't perfectionists, but the more I'm realizing when we teach and expect law and we teach behavioral modification and, and almost we're, we're basically teaching in a sense that as long as you do right, you'll be all right. But mm-hmm. as soon as they take a misstep or as soon as mm-hmm. they're hurt or as soon as something falls away, the system doesn't work anymore. Right. Right. And I think... Like to your point, talking about, you know, about weakness, like I think we would say we're okay admitting our own weaknesses as long as they're in a story, couched in a story about our our success, how we overcame our weakness. (laughs) But just to admit the type of weakness where you're crying so hard, there's Mm. like snot dripping out of your nose. And you're not even able to wipe it. That's exposure right there. <laughs> like there's, admit, you are exposed. <laughs> when someone sees you with snot just dripping out of your nose, that kind of weakness where you're not, again, it's not, I'm weak, but I'm on the road to getting better. It's just like, I'm destroyed, period. And some of this is probably really my own fault. <laughs> When you have people that can say, admit that also back to you and not just, man, I really struggled with pride this week, but like, spoiler alert, you struggle with it all the time, by the way, we know, you know, it's like, (laughs) I love it when people are like, that's right. Do you ever think that you could have pride? And I'm like, all the time, all of us. Yes. Yeah. That's a whole thing. It's it's very biblical. We're, we're all, yeah, that's a, that's a thing for us. We stick to these respectable sins, don't we? That's right. That's right. Yeah. As long as we can control the narrative, right? And the narrative always has to be, I struggled, but I'm getting better. It has to be that. And I just wonder how much more healing and how much more would God be glorified even? Not just about us, but also uh, about the about God being glorified. That we see that we have a God who is like, yeah, 
you're not uh, necessarily on the road on, on this upward trajectory. I love you right where you're at. I love you as you are. Because of, I love and, you as you are. And that motivates are. us um, to grow and to heal and to keep going yes, on the journey. That's right. But if our motivation is, I got to work my way up to God. I need to approve of the work I'm doing myself. I need to think God's approving of me. If our motivation is any of those things, it just, it's not it. it. The motivation has to be right where I'm at, I'm loved. And then that changes us. We don't work. We don't change out of fear. Uh, we don't change out of trying to gain approval. We change because his love makes us lovely. And and that's well, the beauty of it. It's also a, a great opportunity for us to apply law and gospel in this moment because we can say, yeah. like, you use the term struggling. Anytime I hear someone say, I'm struggling mm -hmm. with this, for me, it seems to expose that that idea of, yeah, I'm going through something, but I'm getting better. But, like, it's right. interesting. Just name things people struggle with. We're struggling with pride gossip, viewing sexually explicit material, what a, like there's so many things lying. Well, people say, well, I'm struggling with this. No, you're doing it just fine. You're using it. <laughs> you're not fighting against it at yeah, all, actually. That's something different. <laughs> it's not a that's struggle. Like you, you feel that temptation. You're like, no, mm -hmm. I'm going to call someone and say, hey, I, I want to gossip about this person, but I'm not going to. No, you're using it mm. to make you feel better. You're using it to be a self-salvation mm -hmm. project right. of sorts. And so, right. yeah, it's so, it's so interesting that when we realize, no, no, I'm actually using this to try to self-heal. Mm. It's when we realize what the reality is that we can actually confess that reality or nay, in, agree with that reality with God. Because I feel like mm. that's kind of how I'm mm -hmm. understanding confession these days is I'm just agreeing mm. with the reality of a thing with God. That's right. Not telling him something he doesn't That's know. Right. I'm saying, okay, now that we both are right. on the same page and we both know that I was using whatever sin to make myself feel better, mm -hmm. now I think we mm -hmm. can move forward. And so for, for mm -hmm. those of us who are going through some transition or people who may be facing divorce or who have been divorced, what, what are a couple of pieces mm -hmm. of advice you would give them? whether they're in a transition or they're facing divorce. Mm. Yeah. I mean, again, I would just, uh, my mind is sort of dwelling on Psalm 139. Can I read that? Just let me read parts of that to you because this is just where I'm at pretty much solely. And it has been for a minute. It says this, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You've encircled me. You've placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty and unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there, your hand will lead me. 
your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not too dark to you. The night shines like the day and darkness and light are alike to you. And I think for me, that has been what has held me. That even my darkness, even my darkest moment, he's there. And so if you are looking down this road and thinking, oh, my life will be over. Yeah, parts of your life will be. I'll be honest. (laughs) It's not all beauty. There is a lot of difficulty. But even in the surviving, the barely hanging on, you have a you have a savior who has known tremendous suffering. You have a savior who uh, understands all of your weaknesses and says to you in the middle of your weaknesses, come boldly to the throne of grace. So instead of going to him and saying, Here's all the things that I think I've done that will make you favor me. Uh, You just go in and say, I'm weak. I'm a mess. And he promises that you'll be met with compassion and that you'll be met with sympathy, that we have a high priest who is sympathetic with us. And so to those of you who are experiencing this tremendous ripping apart of souls, right? Like the two become one. And then it's a ripping apart of that. You remember that you're never really just one. You're with him as well. There's nowhere you can go where he's not. His goodness and his kindness are not chasing you down in the gospel because he loves you and uh, you're treasured by God. Mm. And I think it's it's the believing that when everything feels to mm. the contrary, that yeah, I mean, it's there. God's love for us is there. It's present. It's reality. And it's this kind of entering into mm-hmm. that with him and saying, I, I know you're not running away from me. Right. And, and really, even when mm. we don't believe it, you know, even when we don't believe it, That's he's so still true. there. Yeah, because yeah, that doesn't go <laughs> right? away. You're so, 100% right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, and even, so, so even in that, like, ah, oh, I'm even free to, to be like, are you really here? I'm even free to do that because it's not based on my performance. It's based on the perfect work of Christ. And that is a great note to end on today. Mm. That no matter what you're going through, it's not based on your performance, but on the perfect performance of Christ in your place. If you are interested in more conversations like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. If you want bonus episodes, as well as a plethora of other resources, become a paid member at lmpg.org for $10 a month. You will get access to our bonus podcast, More Mercy, where we dive deeper. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. We want to hear from you, so you can email us at info at mercycast.com. Till next time. Have mercy on yourselves and each other.